Welcome to the Getting to Know Jew podcast from the Kansas City Jewish Chronicle. I'm Lev Gringaus, your host this week, and we're talking with Hilary Cohen-Singer, the Executive Director of the Jewish Vocational Service. The JVS was established in 1949 to help resettle Holocaust survivors, and today works to empower anyone in need, like refugees and people with disabilities, to become self-sufficient. Hilary, thanks for being here and for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. So first of all, how did you end up in Kansas City? So I lived in New York for a long time, but I grew up in Kansas City. I am I am Kansas City born and bred, and I left for college and spent about 20 years in New York and wasn't sure that I would ever find my way back to Kansas City, but I did. It was one of the best things I've ever done. Kansas City is a fantastic community, and um, we've really enjoyed being here. How did you end up at the Jewish Vocational Service specifically? Like what brought you back? So um, my husband and I decided that East Coast living wasn't necessarily what we wanted for, for our future. My family is here in Kansas City and we have such a warm and vibrant Jewish community that um, it made a lot of sense for us to to come back to Kansas City. And when we moved back, I did, you know, that thing that people do where they go around and meet with anybody that will agree to, you know, to talk to you about job prospects. And I got acquainted with JVS, which was not an organization that I knew a huge amount about um, as a kid growing up here. But my grandparents were really involved in refugee resettlement and in of the Russian population that came. And I would always hear my grandmother talking about the shopping that she was doing at the warehouse and all of the items that she was going to pick out to furnish these homes. And I had no idea at the time that that was something coordinated by JBS. And so when I, you know, moved back to Kansas City as an adult and got to know the work of the agency, I had this personal connection to it that I wasn't really aware of. In learning about it, I really just fell in love with the mission because for me, it's such a beautiful combination of being rooted in Jewish values and history um, and, and putting those forth and really engaging in the broader community and in the, the civic life of, of the city in general. And speaking of, uh, of Russian-speaking Jews, weren't you involved with the work of resettling uh, Russian Jews in New York City for the, for the Federation there while you were there? Yes, yes, I was. That was part of the work that I did was um, supporting Jewish identity building um, and educational programs in the Russian Jewish community, um, which was not something that I knew a huge amount about before, but really had such a great time getting to know those community institutions and the needs of the Russian Jewish community. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So what what brought you to this line of work? What made you want to get involved with this kind of nonprofit work? I remember being in college and thinking about internships and I found an internship at a nonprofit. I don't know why, but I wasn't familiar with the word nonprofit before that time. And I saw this opportunity. It was for a little organization that did work with Palestinians and Israelis in Israel. And I thought, huh, this sounds really interesting. I could actually get paid for doing something that I 
believe in. Like I could make a career out of this. I didn't really know that that was an option before. Right. Um, and so I took that internship and I loved it. And I sort of have never looked back. I have always worked in the nonprofit arena. I've done some direct program development. I've done advocacy and sort of strategic planning. I've been on the funding side of things and coming back to Kansas City was really drawn to the community relations aspect of this work, particularly in a place like Kansas City. I really love that it is the Jewish community that is extending a, a welcome hand to people from all over the world who are coming into our community. Zooming in on that, what has it been like helping refugees over the past five years specifically? Because, I mean, let's be blunt here. The United States has pretty much acted like refugees are evil for much of the past several years. So what has it been like dealing with that in Kansas City? Yeah, it's really, it's interesting. I I remember the first conversation that I had with the woman who was the previous director of JVS, and I did not know much about refugee resettlement when I first came to the agency. And I remember her telling me it's this little federal program. It has bipartisan support and it sort of flies under the radar. And it's, you know, this like very nice thing that everybody thinks is a good idea. And that did not last very long. <laughs> it has been a really tumultuous time um, in our country for refugees and immigrants. It has been really challenging to be connected to a refugee and immigrant serving organization at a time when that population, right, those, those individuals and families have really been sort of villainized and, and scapegoated for many problems that are endemic in our society that don't have anything to do with those people as, as individuals. So it, it's been challenging from that perspective. And it's been challenging to run an agency that is connected to that work in a really fundamental way. We've gone through a lot of ebbs and flows in terms of our, of our services. And I think we are really excited to have the opportunity now to have that work ramp up and get back to doing what we're here for and what we're good at, which is helping people integrate into our community and help them access all of the, the benefits and advantages that the safety and freedom of our society affords to them. And just to put that in some specific terms, from what I read, I believe the JVS was resettling something like 450 to 500 refugees per year prior to 2016. And last year, you resettled a total of around 80. That's right. That's right. The numbers have dropped pretty dramatically. And our staffing has ebbed and flowed right along with that. Having to shrink your staff is never something that anybody wants to do. And I think it's difficult regardless. Um, I think it was particularly challenging for us as an agency because so many of the individuals that work for our organization come from the communities that we serve. So many of, of our caseworkers 
they themselves came to the United States as refugees. They may even have come as clients of JVS. And then because of their skills and experience and desire to give back, they end up working for the agency in a variety of capacities. And so we feel really closely connected to, to our employees. And so it's hard to, to have to make hard decisions about, um, about cutting back staff. And also recently, I know you're involved with uh, resettling Afghan refugees. What has that been like? That has been really exciting, both overwhelming in terms of its newness and the speed with which we are ramping up that work, and also exciting because we're getting to welcome new people into our community. You know, I don't think anybody really anticipated the crisis in Afghanistan unfolding exactly the way that it did. And it resulted in really large numbers of folks being evacuated in a relatively short period of time. And so, you know, you were saying that the, the numbers have diminished and, and that is true. And the system sort of diminished along with them. And we are now at a place where we are needing to ramp up our capacity really, really fast to accommodate all of the right the influx of people that are that are coming in. So for example, this in our fiscal year 2021 just ended. And in the first nine months, of our fiscal year, we resettled 12 people total. And then in the last three months, we resettled enough that our total for the year is up to 109. So we did (laughs) nobody, 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 right? Small numbers of people and then lots of people all at once. And so we are really in a spot of, of growing that so that we are able to provide the resources and support to everybody that comes in, you know, whether they're from Afghanistan or, or anywhere else. Can you give us a window into sort of what the work is like when a, when a family arrives at the airport and you greet them sort of what's the next, what's the process? Like what needs to happen? So our work actually begins even before they show up at the airport. So we get notice that folks are arriving and we identify housing. We rent a a home or an apartment on their behalf. We furnish it with absolutely everything that um, a person would need to run their household from, you know, sofas and tables to dish towels and and cleaning supplies. Um, So we do all of that work ahead of time. We welcome them at the airport and bring them home and then start the services of of helping them adapt to our community. And so that includes all of the paperwork that needs to get done, getting their social security card and their employment authorization, handling medical needs, they have to do a required medical screening and obtain vaccinations, um, deal with any health issues that need attention. You know, folks come from situations typically where they haven't had a lot of access to medical care. So there are often lots of things that need to be followed up on to, to get them to, to a place of stable health. We work with all of the kids to get them enrolled in school, adults. Uh, enrolled in ESL or training. And then um, we have a big focus on employment. The way that the refugee resettlement program is structured is that we have funds entrusted to us to spend on behalf of refugees that should cover their rent and utilities for the first 90 days that they're in the United States. And then they're expected to be self-sufficient through employment. And so we 
work right away on helping identify what job skills they have, um, what their interests are, and getting them hooked up with their first job. 90 days is not a long time. No, it is not a long time. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be in a brand new country, new language, new culture. Everything is an adjustment and be expected to like have everything down and, and be good three months in. Um, and what I think is an incredible testament to human strength and resilience is that by and large, folks make that mark, right? That doesn't mean that our support goes away after 90 days. And it doesn't mean that everything is perfect after 90 days. And so our support of families who come in extends well beyond that to help them navigate whatever it is that comes up for them. But for the most part, people do remarkably well at, at meeting that self-sufficiency goal. So to zoom out a little bit, almost like HIAS, formerly the uh, Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, you've got a Jewish refugee organization started by Jews for Jews that now largely helps non-Jews. What is that like from an identity standpoint for the organization? Like what continues to make the JVS the Jewish vocational service? For me, it's a really easy answer. Those are our values, right? We value welcoming the stranger. We value helping people succeed, right? Giving them the tools to better their own lives. Um, and so this is a way to act out some of the foundational Jewish values. It is also never lost on me how close I am and my family was to being the recipients of services like this. I don't take it for granted that my family had an opportunity to find stability and safety and an opportunity to realize our potential in the United States. And I feel like it's my obligation to pay that forward to other communities so that they can achieve the same thing that that me and my family did in, in terms of being able to pursue opportunity and the, the really wonderful things that this country has to offer. I also recognize that if you look at Jewish history if you take the long view, there have often been periods in Jewish history where Jews have been in a safe and stable place, but that has not always lasted, right? That has not lasted forever yet. And so I don't hold any illusions that it may be the Jewish community that is needing this refuge. And I hope that that doesn't come to pass, but if it does come to pass, JVS will be ready and waiting to, to provide that assistance. So what are some of the most important things you've learned after over a decade at JVS and I believe seven years as executive director? I have learned that people are amazing. I, it's going to sound sort of funny, but... If I think about the clients that we serve and I think about the staff and the incredible work that, that folks here do, I am really amazed at what people can accomplish and how people can survive hardship and continue to thrive. And that is a lesson that I think enriches me as a leader. I believe in people's intrinsic 
right capacity to to do good things and i hope that that is reflected in my leadership and that has it's been a really important lesson for me personally as well to to be able to see the the beauty and strength that people can exhibit and the compassion that they hold for each other i think the other thing that i have learned from this work is that there is deep value in being flexible and adaptable. This work is really chaotic and unpredictable. Um, there is not a lot that is set about refugee resettlement. We never know how many people we're going to be working with, where they're going to come from, what language they're going to speak, when they're going to arrive. None of that, right? It is all unpredictable. And I think being at JVS has helped me develop the capacity to be reflective on that and responsive and, and adaptable to, to meet the need, whatever it is. I want to throw kind of a, a, a big meaty question at you just to kind of see what comes out of it. If you're okay into getting deeper into some of the politics around this, you told KMBC in August that many of the refugees you help have spent an average of 17 years in refugee camps before being resettled there, uh, here rather. And we know that there are many issues with long delays in the refugee and asylum seeking application process, which I think is, you know, insane at face value but also contrast starkly with, I know for me, I'm a Russian-speaking Jew. My family came here as refugees in 1980, both sides of my family. Uh, they spent at most six months to a year in uh, Vienna and Rome, respectively, and then came here. And I know this is a lot to throw at you again, but like, what happened here? Like, this is such a vast difference of, of you know, timing in terms of how long it takes to bring people here. And what does this mean for the promise of America to have resettlement be delayed for so long for so many, when many, you know, Jews like my own family were able to come here under a much shorter time frame? It's a really complicated question because I think there are so many factors that influence that. And I think I'll break it into a couple of parts, right? One is what is the role of the United States in refugee resettlement. And then the other is refugee resettlement as a global problem. I think there are many reasons to engage in refugee resettlement and humanitarian relief is one of them, but it is not the only one. I think one of the ways that the United States uses and justifies its investment in refugee resettlement is that it helps further U.S. foreign policy goals. And so the U.S. does make distinctions between populations as it decides how this is all going to go. And so, right, so the Russian Jewish community didn't come through regular refugee resettlement. And part of that is because of those circumstances in order to qualify for refugee resettlement under the United Nations. Typically, you have to have been forced to flee your country for on threat of your life. And so if there were large numbers of people fleeing the former Soviet Union and finding themselves in Europe, in some other country, right, then maybe the refugee resettlement came, program would come about. But most of the, the Russian Jewish community that came to the United States came not through that official program, but through um, a program called the that was put into place by um, Senator Lautenberg. It's called the Lautenberg Amendment. And so it's a different path into the United States. So, you know, you could argue 
that people needing support, right? One group needs support, the other group needs support. You shouldn't differentiate between the two, but the the immigration pathways are different. And honestly, like from a utilitarian perspective, the value of that investment to the United States is different. And you know, I don't necessarily know if I was the one making those decisions, if I would come to the same conclusion. But I do recognize that as a country, we have foreign policy priorities. And there are some situations that our government deems that it is more valuable to get involved in than others, because we can't be everywhere. We do have to prioritize because unfortunately, the global refugee problem is not one that the United States can take on on its own. There are 26 million refugees under the protection of the United Nations High Commission on Refugees. There are an additional 50 million probably that are internally displaced and haven't yet crossed a border. That is a problem of a magnitude that one country, even one who thinks it's as powerful as the United States does, cannot manage on its own. And so one has to prioritize somehow. And I, you know, it is it is way above my pay grade to determine how those decisions are made. I think one of the things that is interesting and and sad is I was having a conversation with somebody recently about where other conflicts are and what other populations are we getting. And, you know, the Afghan situation has loomed really large because our media has covered it, you know, to a large degree. And, you know, rightly so, because we were directly involved in, in that conflict and our military spent, you know, two decades with a presence in that country. Um, and so I was saying, you know, from Sudan, from Somalia, from the Congo. And the question is, huh, what's going on in those countries that necessitates all of this? And this was a reasonably well-educated person who could be forgiven for not necessarily knowing that there are protracted conflicts that happen in all parts of the world creating refugees, but that's not something that surfaces for us here in, in a large way, right? It's not covered in our media. And I think the more that we can do to, to raise attention to that global problem will help us understand right, what our responsibility is here, but also that it's the responsibility of the world community. The United States is one of, I think, only seven countries that have official refugee resettlement programs. And so I think there's a lot more that we could be doing globally. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> no, that was great. That's exactly why I asked that. That was fascinating. Um, so then to sort of ease out of all of that uh, uh, on the wrap, what do you love most about the Kansas City Jewish community? I think what I love most is that we are fairly diverse and differentiated. But I think at the end of the day, we sort of feel like one big family and we can all band together and make collective decisions and um, people know each other. It, it feels right. Both. It feels like a big tent, but also a cozy one. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for all the work you do. And uh, yeah, again, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. The Getting to Know Jew podcast is a product of the Kansas City Jewish Chronicle and the Jewish Federation of Greater Kansas City.
It is part of the Jewfolk Podcast Network and produced by Jewfolk Inc. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share. If you have suggestions for future guests, please email the show at webmaster at jewishkc.org.